Warning. While Stephanie Meyer may have written Twilight for children and young adults, Twilight, a literary podcast, contains adult content. If that kind of stuff isn't your speed, feel free to stop here. Everyone else, please sit back and enjoy our explicit podcast. Hello, hello, and welcome to Twilight, a literary deep dive into the blood-sucking skin-sparkling world of Twilight. From a lifelong fan. And a first-time reader. Join us as we try to answer the question, does or does it suck, suck it? Mate. <laughs> were you going with Australian, or were you going with a British accent? It's I, hard to tell. I was going. <laughs> guys hey uh, welcome welcome to twilight emphasis on the lit yeah me and spencer just got back from a happy hour with my co-workers so we're, we're all teachers so you can imagine yeah. um, it was great we we met a a scottish teacher yes she was everything i wanted her to be she was fantastic exactly we met uh the new love of my life sorry jess true uh, she is a uh mountain goats fan and mountain so goats fan she's now replaced me yep. in your heart yep we're, we're Jess and I are still going to date because she uh, is dating or is married. She she is spoken for, so we cannot date. But she, I do love her more than Jessica. <laughs> so you know that is what it is. But the pod, don't worry, guys. The podcast is still going to happen. It's still going to happen. It's still going to happen. But hey, you know what, Jess? I'm going to say right now. Yeah. We were talking about this before the record. Shout out to all your coworkers. They're all really nice people. Well, I good. love all of them. Mike, great guy. Uh, <laughs> And I mean that. Super fun. Also from Iowa. How am I, like, how do I relate so much? It's so weird. Because There's so many. I relate. We're in the heart of Texas. And, and yet, two of your coworkers yeah, are from Iowa, as, three, as am I. Well, three of them are from the Midwest. Yeah. Well, in general. Uh, your coworker who was where, who is also a fan of my favorite band, the Mountain Goats, was we first started talking because she was wearing a Kansas University shirt. Kansas State. Kansas State University shirt. Sorry. Uh, sorry to my aunt and uncle if if you're all listening. <laughs> Probably Chuck not. Jayhawk, whatever. <laughs> but, you know, and, you know, I was wearing, as I've been since the Super Bowl, wearing my Super Bowl Chiefs hat. Yeah. The Super Bowl that they won, obviously. And I've literally probably worn it almost every day since that Super Bowl now I yeah, think about you really it. Have. But so we started talking cuz you know Kansas. But I just re- I relate to your coworkers so much more than most of mine besides the, a few that I'm closely friends with. You know. You know, it, you know who you are. It'd be like that sometimes. But yeah, but I but but for real, I love your coworkers. They're really nice. They're super fun. I had a great time seeing them. I'm glad I got to see them. But you know, it's super late. So let's get to let's it. Let's fucking get to it. So this let's week, guys, we're going to be talking about chapters 24 through 26 of Eclipse. Yep. Yep. And we're going to start with you, Spencer. So why Hell don't you yeah. take it away? I will. Chapter 24, Snap Decision. Bella lays face down in the tent, waiting for the inevitable retribution for her actions to come. Edward suddenly appears and softly strokes Bella's hair. Bella, of course, expects him to be furious with her, but his only concern is for how she feels. Good guy that he is. Yes. Instead, he blames Jacob 
for taking advantage of Bella's feelings to get what he wanted. He tells her that Jacob was going to kiss her even if she hadn't fallen for his ruse, which is very believable given Jacob's history. Correct. With, <laughs> with kissing and consent. Yes. But in an attempt to prove her love for him, Bella wraps her arms around Edward's neck and strains her lips to reach his, but Edward stops her, saying it's too cold, first off, and she, well, kind of smells like a dog. <laughs> also, all of their loved ones are engaged in a life or death battle, so maybe not True. the best time so, to fuck. Yeah, not the, maybe the not, time not ideal. place. Not the time most, and place. Not the most intimate setting. However, Edward does promise that they will try that, that being coitus. <laughs> she will die. Well, as long as he's, tr- he's gentle, she'll be okay. Okay. She's got to stretch first. <laughs> but they, but he, Edward, for the first time, does promise that they will try that once the threat of the newborns is gone. A loud whine from Seth interrupts their conversation. Uh, I don't think that was a whine. Uh, I think that was more of a moan. <laughs> the battle was about to begin. Edward watches on through the thoughts of the wolf pack and narrates what is happening to Bella. So through Seth's thoughts, he's able to access this fight. Uh, Jasper's plan ended up working. The The newborns fell for their trap. Like Alice predicted, the newborn army splits into two. Half are sent running into the woods where the wolf pack waited to ambush them. Uh, Edward's narration then suddenly stops. Something was wrong. Before Bella can react, though, the tent collapses in a fury of ragged shreds. Edward urgently orders Seth to go and braces Bella against the cliff face. Edward stands in front of her holding a posture that Bella recognized instantly. Relief mixes with panic as Bella realizes that there wasn't a crisis in the clearing. The crisis was just ahead of them. It's here. It's here. It's Y2K. Oh my God. (laughs) Reset your alarm clocks. (laughs) Two bodies slowly emerge from the shadows of the forest. One was a body Bella had never seen before. It was a blonde boy, young, but muscular and tall. Hot. With thick cock. No. (laughs) His eyes glowing with a more vivid red than Bella could ever remember seeing before. Well, she's never seen a newborn. Well, But as frightening as he was, he couldn't hold Bella's attention because just a few feet away stood Victoria. 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 Her familiar orange hair, brighter than Bella had remembered, shimmering so vibrantly it looked as if it was its own living being. Which is something I aspire to with my own hair, though it will never happen because it's thin as fucking... Yeah. The thinnest thing you can think of. It's it's coke addict thin. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> uh, Victoria stared at them with thirsty black eyes. <laughs> Her body was coiled tight, posed like a lioness waiting for an opening to pounce. Her restless gaze flickered between Edward and Bella, unable to stray from Bella's face for more than a few moments. The blonde boy watched Victoria from the corner of his eyes, waiting for a command. It was clear that he couldn't have been a vampire for very long. Riley, Edward says softly. The blonde boy freezes, his eyes wide with shock. She's lying to you, Riley. 
Edward tells him. She's lying to you just like she lied to the others, who are now dying in the clearing. The blonde boy's shocked expression turns to confusion. You dumb cunt. He doesn't say that. Um, Edward tells him about James, about Victoria's true motivations. He pleads with the young vampire to see through her lies and to walk away now while he still can. Riley turns to Victoria for answers, and Victoria comforts him with a soft, almost babyish voice that Bella has never heard before. I mean, to be fair, though, Victoria's never really spoken up until now. Right, and anytime she has, it's when she's, like, actively hunting her. Or, like, growling. Yeah, yeah, like, so we're seeing the manipulative side of Victoria here. Definitely. Riley's body tenses, and all hesitation drops from his face. Just as he moves in to attack, a mammoth tan shape lunges from the woods, throwing Riley to the ground. Just a few feet ahead of her, Bella watches as a wolf tears at the vampire beneath him. Something hard and white clatters at her feet, and Bella cringes away from the gruesome scene. God damn, this is brutal. Yeah, this is way more brutal than I was expecting. Yeah, what was it that came to her? Was it his arm or some shit? This is a tooth, I believe. Oh, the arm comes later. Okay, okay. I believe because this is something white and hard, so I think it's a tooth. I mean, it could just be his skin. So it could be like a hand or so. It's it's a piece of flesh from it, him. Now that you say that, it may be like a finger because we see that his hand is like mangled, a mangled after yeah. this. But I interpret it as a tooth. Interesting. But you know. By the way, our cat keeps meowing at the door, yeah. so you may hear him. So we we're, we would let him in, but he's as of late kind of been fucking up our record room <laughs> yeah. randomly as we're recording so we're yeah. not letting him in so if you hear meowing because he's upset that he's not in here right now we he's apologize fine we put his food outside yes. he'll be okay he's he's updated on all his vaccines he's doing great <laughs> we even gave him a covid vaccine i work in the medical field That's so i could just true. get get true. extras so you know he's perfectly safe <clears throat> this isn't tiger king you know like we're not exploiting him i promise <laughs> Victoria doesn't spare a passing glance at the boy she claimed to love. Because she doesn't. What? <laughs> she, her only focus was on the human in front of her. Victoria dances back and forth, looking for an opening. But Edward was always just a second ahead. Why do you think that is, Spence? I think it's because Edward is secretly a great dancer. <laughs> or he can read minds. He went to BYU. Great dancing program. (laughs) Terrible everything else. (laughs) Riley emerges from under the wolf and manages to send Seth flying with a bone-crunching kick to the shoulder. Snap. Victoria wades back and forth between the trees, her survival instincts clashing with, with her murderous thirst. Sensing her weakness, Edward taunts Victoria, telling her that James never saw her as anything more than a weapon to be used at his convenience. Fucking dark. Um, But the bait works as Victoria lunges forward with this furious snarl. Edward and Victoria dance back and forth in lightning fast chess match. I do like how she describes it as dancing because yes. right, they have such fluid movement and that's a very consistent thing from meyer she's always described a vampire's fight as dancing that's something i've you know i remember from all the books and mm-hmm. it's always been that way and it is very specific and i like that she does that because like you said it is a, it, invo- it evokes a, like a very flute <laughs> sorry i was fighting a burp that entire time <laughs> 
Uh, it evokes like a very fluid movement, like you said, and and it's it, at least for me, it's very specific to Twilight. I you know I don't hear that. I've heard Fiden as like dancing, but the way Meyer describes it is unique to her, and so it always kind of is very specific to the story. And yeah. I think anytime you do that as an author, where you can kind of use a phrase, a common phrase like that, and it is becomes specific to your story, that's mm-hmm. very good uh, writing right there. And so I I agree. I really like her way of describing that yeah at the same moment seth yelps in pain as riley drives his fist into his flank seth backs away his shoulder twitching in pain edward and victoria's dance quickens in pace the two were now moving so fast that bella's eyes could not even keep up seth and riley continue to trade vicious blows riley momentarily gains the upper hand and sends seth flying into the cliff face just above bella's head Sharp fragments of gray stone rain down on Bella, scratching her exposed skin. A jagged spike of rock lands next to her hand, and she reflexively picks it up. There was nowhere to run now. Bella clenches around the shard, prepared to fight, as futile as it may be. Is Riley named after this character? Uh, My sister's dog? Uh, No. Okay. Um, I do want to know, did you think... Did you know what Bella's was going to do when yeah, I predict- grabbed that? Yeah, I predicted this like five episodes well, ago. Well, you predicted that she was gonna do Leah this. was going to... No, I predicted Bella's going to do this. Okay. I thought Leah... I well, I thought it might be Leah or Bella, but I think recently I predicted... I thought Bella was going to do this shit. Okay. Because he, the last episode, Edward and Jacob were like... Oh, they talked about. Why did you third, tell Bella about the third, third wife, wife shit? Because yeah. she's that's the actual that's the exact kind of thing she's think to do. She yeah. would think yeah, to yeah. do. Yeah. Okay. Well, but yeah, no, I knew exactly where this. Was. I was surprised that it didn't go all the way there. Right. That, that was she the kind didn't of subversion. Kill herself. Yeah. Well, right. I knew she wouldn't die, but I thought she would actually cut herself at some yeah. point. Yeah. But anyways, Riley limps towards Bella. His body was mangled, but his eyes had lost none of their fury. The only thing standing between them was a limp mountain of sand-colored fur. Riley's mouth opens as he moves to tear out Seth's throat. Adrenaline pulses through Bella's body, making it feel as though time has suddenly slowed down. Everything was suddenly clear to Bella. Seth was about to lose his fight, and she had no idea if Edward was winning or losing. She knew she had to do something, but was she brave enough to do it? She sucks in a deep breath and presses, <gasps> and presses the stone shard against her wrists. <clears throat> Bella's gasp catches Victoria's attention, and for a brief moment their eyes meet. A curious blend of intrigue and fury spreads across Victoria's face, but that brief second would decide their fight. Victoria sent flying into a tree, and a moment later, Edward appears behind Riley, clutching him by the arm and with his foot planted firmly into his back. Edward heaves, and the campsite is filled with Riley's agonizing screams. Oh! He says, in pain. Seth leaps to his feet and pounces on the young vampire. Victoria then springs toward Bella, but a small white object collides with her midair, sending her flying into yet another tree, this poor forest, this time snapping the tree in half. (laughs) She somehow manages to land on her feet, but Edward is already there. Victoria kicks aside the missile that sent her flying, and with horror, Bella realizes it was Riley's arm. Yikes. That's fucking brutal, dude. It really is. The dismembered body part lands 
just feet in front of Bella, still twitching, mindlessly dragging itself across the ground, which is just really fucking metal. So fucking metal. <laughs> More metal than I thought this book would ever get, <laughs> honestly. Seth sinks his teeth into the young vampire's shoulder and easily rips off his other arm. Wow. Riley screams Victoria's name in a desperate plea, but Victoria doesn't react to the call of her name. She doesn't give a fuck, dude. She doesn't give a shit about... Like, Edward fucking told you she doesn't give a shit about you, dude. But... And Riley knew, deep down. Like, uh, the he book knew. makes it more clear, but Riley... He when knew. Edward said that, Riley was like, oh, yeah, he's you right. Might, you might be right, mate. <laughs> oh, oh, I'm about to be cream cracking. <laughs> cream cracking with my last... <laughs> Uh, Seth drags Riley into the forest, his cries echoing against the cliff until they're suddenly silenced. How, why could that be? Uh, I think he fucking died. <laughs> I think he did. I think he, I think he lost uh, connection to his vocal cords <laughs> when his head was ripped off. <laughs> Realizing her inevitable defeat, Victoria moves to run away, but Edward was too fast for her. Not, not, not the best moment in the book, but uh, to quote Meyer... Edward was faster. A bullet from a gun. Wow. She she really reached for that metaphor. You know, she (laughs) really plunged the depths of her writing skills to to come up with. Listen, a bullet's fast, and so was Edward. (laughs) I just love, Edward was faster, dash, a bullet from a gun. That is a direct quote. (laughs) (laughs) Just, I think Meyer's a good author, but that, that... not a great Listen, line. you got some words with her editor here. Yeah, that, that's really that's really more on the editor. That's when the editor needs to go, hey, I think we could make this sentence, like, at least a little better. <laughs> Edward quickly catches her and brushes his mouth once across her neck. The caress was strangely gentle. If she hadn't known better, Bella would have thought it was a kiss. I actually, uh, I just to Meyer's credit, I thought that was a great little touch mm-hmm. where this like just adding this little moment of like sensuality, which is very vampire, you know, that's very I mean, yeah. typical oh, for he, a vampire story. The only story. way he can rip her head off is with her his teeth. So right. it has to be intimate. Yeah. But it, and I just love that she adds that it, it, it just adds just this, another layer. That's why I'm saying she, I think she's a good author, but because that little extra little moment really sealed it for me i was like oh that's it brought me in because it's just a little off it was a little different i yeah. was like oh yeah because it, 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 it's that weird thing of like adding that little sensuality to a moment of violence that mm-hmm. is very evocative mm-hmm. and i, I love I, that shit no i love I'm that moment and it. it's a very vampire thing to do please confuse my sensuality <laughs> with violence make my boner problematic <laughs> please <laughs> I want to talk to my therapist about how I feel. <laughs> Man, that's one of those things where when, when I'm editing, I'm like, is the joke funny enough? It's good enough. To, to, I think that's to good l- enough. allow my parents to hear me say it. <laughs> you know? No, it's funny. That, that is always the conflict when we're editing is like the trade off between Sorry, a Mom, good moment and... or, <laughs> or having to face my parents hearing me say boner. <laughs> And then the fiery tangle of hair that had so often tormented Bella's dream was no longer connected to a body. The shimmering orange waves bounced once against the ground before rolling into the trees. I hope she's okay. She's not. Oh, she doesn't recover from that? <laughs> she dead. I thought Carlisle was a good doctor. I, I figured he could <laughs> fix anything. 
But man, you know, I kind of like that how quickly Victoria is kind of dispatched with because yeah. it fits her character because she's not a fighter. She's a manipulator. No. She's, no, she's she, she, she runs she, from the fight. She, and and the moment she has to engage in a direct fight, it's over. Yeah. She wouldn't. She never would have won. Yeah. And but it kind of fits. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I like that. Chapter twenty five. Mirror. 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 <laughs> Swift and like busy. Taylor. Hmm. Sorry. Swift and businesslike, Edward gets to work dismembering the headless corpse. As we all do. That was once called Victoria. <laughs> As we all do. You're right. He piles the quivering, twitching limbs and covers them in dry pine needles. Kind of like our old place. Yeah. We had a lot of pine needles. We had, a lush- we had six fucking pine trees in, in one our yard. And not, a, and not a big yard. It was not it was an, that big. It was an average to below average size we yard. We had so many pine needles. I actually gathered pine needles and made myself a little witch's broom from them. We were trying to find crafts to just get rid of the pine needles. He then darts into the forest and returns a moment later with his arms full of Riley. I like that. Arms full of Riley, uh, by the way, is the name of my new indie folk band. I think I'd listen to it. I do love the phrase "arms." His arms full of Riley. That's a direct quote. <laughs> I, it's a very interesting way of putting it. I like that. It's very uh, intense. Yeah, in a weird yeah, way. Yeah. But also. Isn't it a great band name? Arms Full of Riley. I agree. I would listen to them. That's absolutely a band name. Like your high school, like douche friend. (laughs) Like he's the bassist in the band Arms Full of Riley. Yes. But like it's like a legit band because one of the, like, because like the singer is like in college. Right. It's one of those things. That's funny that you mentioned that your friend would be the bassist because I am attracted attracted to to bassist. No, I know. I know you're about. It, it, it's it's not a coincidence that I am the owner of a drum kit and a bass guitar. Listen, all I'm saying is that I'm usually besties with the drummer, and I want to fuck the bassist. And I am a drummer who dreams of being a bassist. Because <laughs> you know what? It's still the rhythm section, but the, there's a lot less pressure on the bassist. It's true. It's true. Because no one really notices what they're doing. No one really but, knows, but they but can fucking get slap that shit. Right, but you also know? you get to be up front. Yeah. You get to jump around. And you get funky as shit. Yeah, dude. The bass is so funky. Yeah. I'm into it. I challenge anyone, any when we can go to concerts again, any, like, especially, like, indie rock bands, mm-hmm. like, watch the basses. 100% guarantee they will have the weirdest haircut in oh, the band. always. Every fucking time. Because the drummer will have, like, the longest hair. Right. But the bassist will have the weirdest haircut. But they have the best personality. No, they're always the fun ones. Yeah. Because they, they, they're the ones who like chime in with like jokes on the mic. Because mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. the singer will do like the, you know, front man stuff. But like the bassist will come in with like the little quip. Right. Because it's less pressure on less them. Less pressure. And they're a bassist. So like the fact that they do anything that's like social is just everyone's just happy that they're not like trying to kill themselves. <laughs> but they will, but 100% they will have the weirdest haircut. Promise you, anytime. Right. What are we talking about? What are we talking about? <laughs> Seth. We're talking about my band Armstrong Riley. Uh, Jesus Christ. Seth follows close behind, carrying the slain vampire's torso in his mouth, which is a big piece of body. It is a lot of body. Yeah. A lot of body. The first album. Uh, the the <laughs> no. name of the first album for my band Armstrong Riley. <laughs> Armstrong Riley with their debut. <laughs> a big piece a of, body. Lot of body. A whole lot of body. <laughs> <laughs> it's because the band is all bass. <laughs> <laughs> they add the pieces to the pile, and Edward sets the tinder ablaze with a small silver lighter. Do you think it was a Zippo? 
I thought you were going to make a Tinder joke just now, so I was no. trying to recover. Oh. Uh, I no, imagine a Zippo lighter. No, they're so fucking wealthy. Probably some, like... But a Zippo lighter! That shit lasts centuries. No, but he's got some, like, Italian, like, hand-carved silver lighter. Yeah, I guess You know, right. like... He's got some, like, obnoxious shit like that. In my head, I pictured a Zippo. I mean, any other person would have a Zippo. <laughs> Jacob would have a Zippo. He would. No, Jacob would no, have a No, Jacob would have a fucking bick. He'd have a long... A disposable He'd bick. have a long neck bick. Uh, <laughs> one of the, like, barbecue <laughs> ones. Yeah, he'd have a... He'd have that. <laughs> Actually, you know what? Edward would have a Zippo. He would have a Zippo. Because he's not that pretentious. No, 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 no. Alice, yeah. Alice would have the handcrafted Italian lighter. Yes. Edward would meet in the middle. He'd get the Zippo. I feel like but Edward it's, it's would be more like American, and I feel like yes. Zippos are American. Yes, it's the classy American lighter. Yeah. What are we talking about? Huh. <laughs> <laughs> Seth and Edward methodically scour the campsite for any other remains, adding any small pieces they find to the now roaring flames. Thick purple smoke billows out. I like that touch too. Uh, with the any time the vampire, they're burning vampire bodies. Mm-hmm, it's mm-hmm. like this really. Th- chunky thick purple cloud it's just, it's a nice yeah. little touch it just makes it specific and it also has a specific scent too yes it, it, and i didn't add that but it, uh, bella describes it as uh, like incense. Cloying, almost. well she describes it as like a bad incense yeah smell it's it's i imagine it's overwhelmingly sweet yeah that's uh that's a great way to put it but i just like it's a nice little touch that mm-hmm. you know adds a, another layer to it absolutely Seth makes a snickering sound from deep in his chest, and Bella notices a small smile flicker across Edward's face. Is that friendship? Is it friendship? Edward stretches out his arm, his hand curled into a fist, and Seth's snout breaks into a devilish grin as he bumps his nose against Edward's fist, which is really That's cute. So That's adorable. so sweet. On I like, goddamn, friend who's a wolf. I know they're like commiserating over murder, but like that's like, that's cute. Come on, come on, it's kind of that's so cute. <laughs> like a vampire fist bumping the the snoot of a wolf. Like that's fun. Yeah. Come on. For the first time since the fight ended, Edward looks at Bella. His expression was something she'd never seen before. His eyes were wary, almost afraid. Bella, love, he says softly, his voice barely louder than a whisper. He moves towards her with exaggerated slowness, holding his hand up as if he were showing her that he was unarmed. Calmly, he asked Bella to drop the rock. Bella hadn't realized she was still holding the rock to her wrist. Edward's posture relaxes once she drops the crude weapon, and as she moves closer, (laughs) Bella trips. Yeah, of course she does. But Edward is instantly there to catch her. He was expecting it. Yes. The moment their bodies connect, something breaks within Bella's mind, and tears stream from her face, and her breath comes out in ragged sobs. Edward tells her that the battle is over. Everyone has made it out alive. They had won. Yay, yay! Bella takes a moment to absorb the news. Everyone was safe. Victoria would now never come after her again. Edward then apologizes for her having to see him fight. He never wanted her to see him act that way. And that's why he was so cautious before. He was worried that she'd be afraid of him. But Bella can't help but laugh at the idea of ever being afraid of Edward. Bella, Edward says, I just beheaded and dismembered a scenting creature not even 20 yards from you. Doesn't that bother you? He says, his voice breaking. (laughs) 
I mean, but Bella, she's a freaking American high school student. She's probably been through like half a dozen school shootings at this point. I mean, point. for sure, by this point, Colin Biden has happened. Right. She She's desensitized. She's not worried about it. Yeah. Bella just shrugs. All she was ever worried about was everyone else's safety. And it's true. That's really all she was I mean, that about. Jokes aside, that is truly all she was ever worried about. Even when she went to sacrifice herself, it was because... Not because she was afraid of her but own safety. But it's because she saw that Seth was right, injured but, and Edward right. looked like he was losing. But she wasn't doing. But she wasn't going to cut herself to in hopes to help them win. She was doing it to help them survive. You right. know, like she wasn't ever really worried about her own self interest. Absolutely. Edward scolds her for the stunt she pulled with the rock. He explains that Seth was only faking being hurt to catch Riley off guard making her almost sacrifice completely unnecessary. Which, um, they kind of, he's kind of a dick about this. Uh, yeah. So how was she going to know how that? How was she going to know? Exactly. How the fuck was she supposed to know that Seth was pretending to be injured? Because Seth, like, I think, like, he, like, yelps and, like, is, is limping But also, like, I don't, no one was expecting him to be a good fighter. No. He was specifically placed in charge of Bella because He's they this, didn't... He's like, 14-year-old boy. Right, because no one was... Because ex- the whole point of hiding Bella is that they weren't expecting anyone to find them there. Yeah. He was, like, a, a safety... A walkie-talkie. Me- right, but, yeah, he was more of... That is a great point. He was more of a, like, communication mechanism than, like, an actual defensive mechanism. Yeah. So, yeah, I think she should have expected him to lose. Yeah. I I don't think she was being But everyone shits on Bella. Or not everyone, but, like, Edward kind of subtly shits on Bella. He's like, you know he wasn't even hurt. She's like, how, how the fuck was I supposed yeah, to know that? Yeah, seriously. Well, Bella then remembers that Edward was about to tell her something before Victoria arrived. Of course, Bella is, like, instantly like, hey, you were going to say something about, like, uh, you know, earlier. There had been a complication in the battle plans, but he never explained what it was. Edward tries to explain that it was nothing, but Seth interrupts him with a deafening howl. Moments later, Edward collapses to his knees, clutching his head with both hands and yelling in pain. Bella screams to get his attention, and with great effort, he manages to break away from the mysterious force that was hurting him. I I really love this moment because... um... Uh, we because Edward is is so affect like because he's so he's so he, like attuned to because because their... it's this weird double layer where he is he is reading the mind of Seth but that mind is connected to all the other werewolves yeah and that collective pain like cripples him for a moment because it's so intense and it's just yeah. very interesting it's very cool I like that a lot yeah. Edward tells her that everything is fine but they do have to leave now which would indicate that not everything is fine right. Edward picks her up and heads for the clearing. Along the way, Edward tells her that the Vittori, that the Voltori were about to arrive. Edward goes on to explain that as the battle was ending, there was one last newborn who had been hiding from the pack and managed to ambush Leah. But Leah, wanting to prove herself to the rest of the pack, tried to take on the vampire by herself, but she was outmatched. Fortunately, Jacob stepped in just in time to save her, but in the process, he became badly injured. Already at the edge of exhaustion, the news was too much for Bella to handle. She passes out, still cradled in Edward's arms. Bella wakes up in the clearing, surrounded by the Cullens. Edward's cool lips press against her ear. He tells her that Jacob is okay. He's going to make a full recovery. Which is something you say when someone is really in bad shape. Right. 
Carlisle confirms that it will take some time for him to heal, but he won't have any permanent damage. Bella gets up and examines the scene around her. The Cullen stood in a loose semicircle around a large dying bonfire. She then notices an unfamiliar girl sitting curled into a ball next to the fire. She had a slim frame and dark black hair that accentuated her bright crimson eyes. She was just a kid, no older than 15. She surrendered, Edward quietly explains. Carlyle had offered to spare her life if she gave up, much to Jasper's disapproval. This kind of repeats throughout the section, but everyone, like, no one agrees with Carlisle's choice here, but I love that. I it's do, great. Yeah. Carlisle, was so, Carlisle is so much more empathetic than everyone else. Yeah. Which is perfect for his character. It makes him very interesting. I like that. But he's, like, the only one who's on board with, like, keeping her alive. Everyone's right. Like, no, fuck that. <laughs> but he's like, no, 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 no. We got to be nice, right? <laughs> the young girl suddenly snaps her head back and lets out a shrill wail. Jasper growls at her, and she quickly stops. Her nails dig into the dirt as her head whips back and forth in clear anguish. Carlisle warns her that if she can't control herself, they will have to destroy her. In response, the girl clutches her head between her hands, growling quietly to herself. Bella stares at the girl, wondering if she is witnessing a glimpse into what she will soon become. The Cullens suddenly all move at once, gathering together into a united front. And a moment later, Bella finally sees what the Cullens were reacting to. Five figures emerge from the smoke, hidden in cloaks, but instantly recognizable. Welcome, Jane, Edward says in cool, courteous voice. Oi, hello there, Jane. That's uh, not cool and courteous. No. Uh, Jane steps forward, followed by a line of four large hooded figures. The biggest of the four looked up at Bella, letting his hood fall back slightly so she could see him wink and smile. Fuck this guy. Bella recognized him as Felix, one of the Volturi guards who captured her in Italy. Jane's eyes moved slowly across the Cullen's faces before stopping at the newborn girl. Edward explains that she had surrendered, so they spared her life, but Jane can't seem to comprehend that idea. Edward explains what exactly had occurred, who Victoria was, and why she had created an army of newborns. Jane seems satisfied with Edward's accounting of the events and turns her attention to the surrendered newborn. She flashes an angelic smile and immediately the girl erupts into an ear-piercing scream. Bella fights the urge to cover her ears, and instead focuses on Edward's unflinching face. Finally, the screams end, and Jane begins her interrogation. The young girl is Bree Tanner. <gasps> Whoa! What? What? But despite Jane's torture, she has little else to offer in the way of information. Victoria kept herself distant from the newborns in order to avoid detection through Edward's powers. As newborns, it was easy to convince them to fight, but ultimately Bree didn't have uh, the heart for combat. Jane asks why Victoria would go to such extremes to attack the Cullens, and, and Edward explains Victoria's specific grudge against Bella. Jane laughs, noting Bella's tendency to bring out extremes in the vampires she meets. She then smiles silently at Bella, causing Edward to flinch. Jane's power still had no effect on her. 
sounding suddenly apathetic, Jane announces that their work is finished. Her gaze returns to Bree. She commands Felix to kill the young vampire, but Carlisle interjects. He offers to bring the girl into their family and teach her the rules of their kind. <clears throat> but his plea falls on uncaring ears. Unlike Carlisle, the Vittori do not grant second chances. Which reminds me, Jane coos, her eyes returning to Bella. Caius will be so interested to hear that you're still human, Bella. Perhaps he'll decide to visit. Alice steps forward, assuring her that the date of Bella's transformation has been set. Jane shrugs indifferently and once again orders Felix to take out the young vampire. This time, there is no one to stand in his way. Bella closes her eyes, but she can't avoid the sound. There is a deep, guttural growl, followed by a horribly familiar high-pitched whine. But the scream is quickly silenced with a sickening crunch and snap. Bella opens her eyes to see the hooded figures disappear once again into the thick mist. Chapter 20. They killed her. Yes, they did. I was being coy. Mm. Chapter 26. Ethics. Bella sits in front of a bathroom mirror, being meticulously groomed by Alice like a show dog. Normally, this would be Bella's personal hell, but her worry for Jacob overshadows any other emotion. She would like nothing more than to go visit Jacob, but Edward insists that they keep up the sleepover facade. It's Vicada. No, it's not. No. Oh. Besides, Alice points out Jake is still unconscious and she needs to go see Daddy Swan. He was with Billy when the LaPush posse brought Jacob's badly injured body home. They told him it was from a motorcycle accident, but Daddy Swan was bound to get suspicious. I highly doubt that. Mm. Alice reminds Bella that being a part of the Cullen family requires meticulous responsibility. And of course, Bella is famous for her responsibility. Absolutely. Just always (laughs) level-headed. Always thinking ahead. Bella gets up to leave, but stops to ask Alice a question that has been burning her up inside. Will I be like that? She asks in a subdued voice, like the girl Bree in the meadow. Alice tells her that it really depends on the person, but the feeling eventually passes for all of them. The feeling of bloodlust, that is. Mm -hmm. Alice adds that she's never seen someone choose to be turned, so it could very well be different for her. Bella thinks of another question. She asks Alice why her and Jasper's powers work on her, while others, like Edward and Jane's, don't. Alice can't say for sure, but she suspects it's because her and Jasper's powers work on a physical level. Alice's powers are able to show her outcomes, but not the thoughts or reasons behind them. And of course, Jasper affects people physically in their bodies, while the other vampire's powers work primarily on the mind. Jane doesn't actually inflict any real damage with her ability. She can only create the illusion of pain inside a victim's mind. For whatever reason, Bella is safe within her own mind. I find that kind of a dubious explanation for Alice's powers, though. Yeah. Because Alice's powers seem to be more mental than physical. So I don't, yeah, I don't like know if I agree with that. Once someone makes a decision, then their future is known. Right, because it, it's all... Uh, I don't quite agree but with that. But is she seeing Bella's decisions, or is she seeing someone else's decisions? But either way, it's still someone's decisions, which is inherently internal, not yeah. physical. But nitpick whatever I, I don't care about those kind of things that much in a story right 
Bella asks one final question. Does Alice still see her becoming a vampire? Oh, of course I do. Sure I do, she responds. Don't you know your own mind, Bella? That's a, that's a loaded question there, yeah, Alice. Nobody that's, that's does. a lot. Come on. Alice tells her that she is only as sure of the future as Bella is. If she changed her mind, that future would disappear. The two embrace and Bella leaves for home. Daddy Swan's waiting for her there. Understanding how hard Jacob's injury must be for her, he quickly tries to assure Bella that he'll be okay. And as as a dad, he's obligated to remind Bella of the dangers of motorcycles. Correct. As Bella makes dinner, Daddy Swan recounts what happened when Jake was brought home. Daddy Swan muses that Billy seemed to almost know something was going to happen to Jake. While out on the boat, Billy barely paid any attention to the fish or Daddy Swan. Then suddenly a chorus of wolf howls erupts from the woods. And strangely, Billy's immediate reaction is to go turn the boat around and head straight for the village. As if the wolves were calling him personally. Huh. Hmm. That is strange, Daddy Swan. Yeah. All of a sudden, Billy was in a huge hurry to catch the game and race straight home. Once there, that I mean, there's nothing like this is why I'm not worried about like Daddy Swan catching up on anything because literally he can just say something about any kind of sports game and he's going to be convinced. True. Once there, the howling starts again, this time closer, practically right outside the ho- Billy Black's house. But before they could investigate the sound, the little push boys, the little push boys rush in carrying a severely injured Jacob. Somebody called Carlisle down, and Billy was incredibly grateful to see him. Daddy Swan notes that the Quillets seemed to get over their bias against the Collins, so at least there was some good that would come out of this awful incident. <laughs> Daddy Swan found it strange that they didn't take Jake to a hospital, but figures Carlisle would know best. He also admits that he gained a lot of respect for Edward. He worried about Jacob as if he were his brother. Uh, prediction Edward and Jacob are actually long lost brothers. Interesting. Hot take. <laughs> Bella recalls when she saw Jacob before, just after Daddy Swan had left. His unconscious face was pale and drawn. She had never seen him look so vulnerable. As big as he was, he looked breakable, which looked even worse knowing that she would have to break him again. I know that Bella meant, like, emotionally break him, but when I read this, all I could think of was Bella, like, helping a crippled Jacob, like, up up to go walk to the bathroom, and then immediately, like, suplexing him into the <laughs> ground, like, just like, I'm gonna break you, <laughs> like, WWE style. Bella finishes Daddy Swan's dinner and goes to leave for La Push, but before she can go, Daddy Swan asks her to wait. There was something he needed to say. Man, I got, like just like flashes of like panic just remembering like when my parents be like hey Hey, hold on i got we gotta talk i was like oh jesus christ what did i do yeah (laughs) i like just recounting everything i've done in like the last six months like oh god oh god oh god though he doesn't know why daddy swan has a strange suspicion that he's gonna lose bella soon she tries to dismiss his concerns but but he insists that she promise him one thing will you tell me before you go do anything major before you run off with him or something. Daddy Swan promises he won't try to stop her. All he asks is that she give him a chance to give her a hug goodbye. And here is, like every book, I we get to the point where Daddy Swan makes me cry. I know, yeah. 
Doing her best to hide her true feelings, Bella agrees to Daddy Swan's request. And then she she then leaves for the push, grumbling to herself that this was the last thing she needed right now because she doesn't appreciate Daddy Swan and does not deserve to have such a gentle, pure soul of a father. Okay. Sorry. <laughs> Bella arrives at the black home and Billy tells her that Jacob was awake and waiting for her. She hesitantly enters the room to find Jacob already looking significantly better. The gaunt, haggard look from before was gone, but there was still little animation behind his deep black eyes. Hi, Jake, she murmurs. Slowly and with clear effort, Jacob rearranges his face into a slightly mocking smile. Bella asks how he's feeling. A little stone. He says. Sounding a little stoned. <laughs> Dr. Fang isn't sure how much pain medication I need, so he's going with trial and error. I think he overdid it. <laughs> Fun fact, uh, the pathologist that works in our lab is named Dr. Fang. With an E? Yeah. Fun. That's fun. <laughs> it was to the point that I didn't even, like, at first I didn't get the joke where he's calling him Dr. Fang. I was just excited because I thought he was saying, like, Dr. Oh, I, I was like, I see. oh, did you say, uh, I was like, oh, that's already a doctor, but I was, no, oh, no, I'm, no, I'm just stupid. With genuine concern, he asks how Bella is doing. He'd been worried about how Edward would respond to their kiss. Bella assures him that everything was fine. Edward was never even upset with her. I mean, she'd actually wish she would have been at least a little angry. Right. But, and Jacob is incredulous. Edward had beat him once again. Lacking any understanding of how normal, healthy relationships work, Jake laments on how much better Edward is at this game. Bella retorts that Edward is not playing any games. <laughs> he literally is just kind and understanding. True. But Jacob insists that Edward is manipulating her and that everything he does is carefully calculated. Well, at least he didn't threaten to kill himself to make me kiss him. Bella shoots back. Whoa! Like an asshole would do. Yeah, like a manipulative asshole. Like a piece of shit. Jacob fully admits to what he did. In fact, he's proud of it and would gladly do it again. Man, and remember when we thought Mike was bad? Yes, I do remember. <laughs> no matter what else happens, he got her to admit that she loved him, and that was worth any consequence. If he'd never forced her to admit her true feelings, he would have spent the rest of his life wondering. Even if it wasn't the outcome he wanted, he knows the truth now. Jacob closes his eyes and drags in a pained, unsteady breath. Bella can't resist the urge to comfort him and kneels down next to his head, gently touching her forehead to his cheek. Bella apologizes for the pain she's caused, refusing to let Jacob take the blame. It is my fault, and I'm so sick of being told it's not. I really like that line. Yeah. Jacob asks if she would like him to haul her over the coals, and Bella, only half-jokingly, says that she kind of does. Kind of hot. The coals, that is. Yes. Jacob playfully pretends to blame her for the kiss, and Bella plays along. But through the joking, tears soon well up in Bella's eyes, and her laughter eventually turns into sobs. Yeah. Jacob pulls her in close and promises to be better from now on, to actually be her friend once again. Doubt. Yeah. 
because he loved her, he was surrendering, stepping down to let her be with the person she wants to be with. But he still insists that he is actually the perfect guy for her and mourns the life that they would have had together. I was the natural path your life would have taken and if the world was the way it was supposed to be, if there was no monsters and no magic. Damn. Which is a great line if he wasn't a complete asshole. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I, I like him more. Because <laughs> it's true. Like, it's a beautiful sentiment, but he's such a dickhead that it kind of ruins it. Yeah. But anyways, Bella can see that life too. In a normal world, they would have been soulmates. But in their world, Bella was drawn to something more powerful than that. But she knows that there's also something out there for Jacob. <laughs> oh boy, is there. <laughs> Jacob notes that Edward is like a drug to her. One that she can't live without now. I would have been healthier for you. Not a drug. I would have been the air. The sun. I mean, air is nice and all, Jake. But your girl needs a robo-dozen. <laughs> Bella tells him that she used to think of him that way, as her personal son, fighting back the clouds. The clouds I can handle, he says, but I can't fight with an eclipse. Eclipse! He said it! He said eclipse! <laughs> That's the book. Oh my god! Bella says... Oh, it's eclipse! Bella says the hardest part of all of this was that she could actually see the life they would have shared, and part of her does want it. But they're dealing with forces beyond their control. Much like Sam and Leah, it wasn't really about what Bella consciously desired. She could not live without Edward. And it was as simple as that. Remember when Jacob said Eclipse? Yeah. That was cool. (laughs) Jacob surprisingly seems to understand and accept what Bella says. Speaking in a calm and uncharacteristically rational voice... Bella eyes him curiously, wondering how he's managing to handle everything so well. It probably has something to do with all the morphine in him. I agree. Jake asks her about her upcoming transformation, and Bella admits that she's still a bit afraid of what comes after. But she's made up her mind, and she isn't backing out. She wonders when Jacob will find someone of his own, jokingly admitting that she'll probably won't be able to help but being a bit jealous of her. Uh, we'll find out. Uh, we'll see. Uh, but Jake isn't so optimistic. But he wouldn't mind seeing Bella being a bit jealous. With a sigh, he turns his cheek towards her. Bella leans in and softly kisses his face. I love you, Jacob. And Jacob chuckles softly. Love you more. Bella gets up to leave as Jacob watches on with an unfathomable expression deep in his black eyes. Damn. The expression was horny. He was turned on. Well, okay, we're going to leave it there, um, and we're going to take a short break, because that's the end of our chapter summary. So we'll be right back with our personal proclivities. All right, and we're back. And we're back. Wow. So let us go ahead and discuss our personal proclivities of this week's chapters, and we'll start with you, Spencer. What's your favorite moment? 
Uh, my favorite moment was just the image of Daddy Swan stuck in the tiny black home. That's their name, not a comment on their race. Right. Just unknowingly surrounded by werewolves and vampires. <laughs> and I imagine, like, making a lot of, like, authoritative suggestions, like, being, like, because he's, like, the police. He's a sheriff, right? Yeah, he's a sheriff. He's probably, oh, we gotta do this. And everyone's like, dude, you literally have no, no idea what You've the no fuck is going idea. on. I just, th- that image just cracked me up multiple times. So originally I had put for my favorite moment uh, whenever Jane showed up to the party here. But actually what my favorite part is, uh, what is it, like King Samson or something? King Solomon. King Solomon, Mm -hmm. uh, where Jacob talks about how that story in the Bible where he's like, okay, so we'll just cut the kid in half because these two mothers are fighting over this child. And they're like, we'll just cut him in half. You take half, you take the other half. And then the mother who's the true mother is like, no, I'll give up my half because I want him to live. Yeah. And Jacob's like, I'm giving you up so that we're not cutting you in half. And I I, I don't know if it's mm-hmm. just because I grew up in a religious household, but I did. Oh, I'm, I'm surprised to hear that. I didn't, re- I didn't um, think that. But because I like grew up listening to these stories and shit, but mm-hmm. but that just kind of like hit me in the heartstrings, really. Yeah, no, I I agree. That's a very illustrative moment, and I it, that was almost gonna be uh, my piece for our attention. Oh um, yeah. But but I mean Jake, but it I didn't do go that route just because Jacob kind of spells it out in yeah when he brings it up. But it, but it's a very evocative. Uh, Piece and it does exactly explain the situation yeah. for them. And yeah, I agree. I like that a lot too. So now, favorite line. What's your favorite line from these chapters? Okay, so my Jessica. favorite line, it comes from um, Edward right after <laughs> Bella fucking Max with fucking Jacob um, and then feels bad about it. Uh, <laughs> Edward says to her, but you are human, Bella. And as much as I might wish otherwise, so is he. There are holes in your life that I can't fill. I understand (laughs) that. Which. No, I I agree. I I love that. I love it too. And um, all jokes aside, it's a very interesting view into Edward's character. And and kind of similar to Jacob's example of King Solomon. I think an even more pure example of that idea is Edward being above all of this petty kissing shit he's like look it it, this is human bullshit it's manipulative it's highly emotional i don't care about that i care about you yeah but also like it's partly his fault too right because he left her like it's he knows it it makes sense that he he, someone was gonna patch up the hole that he left and it's bound to leave his mark like jacob's bound to leave his mark there's you can't fault Bella for loving someone even if it's not the person she loves the most and 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 I agree with you I think both you and I are very open-minded people in that way Mm -hmm. where we're very unjealous people and I think it's because we understand that like caring about like I just I find it silly to expect you or any person I'm with to like not care about their past partners because like 
because just because you you were with someone for years and like I'm gonna expect you to never like just drop all it's just like Gatsby where Gatsby wants Daisy to say that she never loved her new husband right but like, but, like of, of course, course she loved she her new but but she loves and she pleads the Gatsby just like oh, but I love you now isn't that enough and it's not enough for Gatsby and sorry I turned this into a Gatsby thing but um, no, but, that's... but but it's that sentiment and I always find that so silly or so wrong-minded because of like of course you're gonna love your ex like i love my exes i love yeah. because they're important in they're, my life they're part of your life they're I, part of the story of you right they were transformative in my experience i don't want to be with them right, right now you know i want to be with but it doesn't my mean that they're host. not special right exactly and and i love and i i share your mindset in finding that very beautiful that edward sees it that way and and I think it does truly show kind of ironically in the King Solomon example that Dick was using for herself. I think that same example Edward is evoking here where he is above it all and he just cares about Bella. Yeah. He'll, it doesn't, all this shit doesn't matter. I want to be with you. Figure out your feelings in the way you have to. Like but I I'll tr- be here. But I'll be here and I trust that you will too at the end of the day because that's what really matters. All this other stuff is temporal. It's fleeting. It just happens. And yeah. I love that. I think yeah. it's beautiful. And I think it's the most, I think it's one of the more interesting parts of the relationship dynamics in this story. Absolutely. Um, so what's your favorite line, Spencer? Well, this is going to be a little, perhaps more dramatic. <laughs> um, as dramatic as we just got. But it's when Carlisle uh, is talking about treating Jacob's wounds. And he says, quote, well, I've never been to veterinarian school. <laughs> and I think that says a lot. Mostly in that Carlisle has never been to veterinarian school. Right, but he needed Jacob to transform back into <laughs> yes. a human so that he could treat his injuries because, well, he never, never been, been to been veterinarian, veterinarian school. school. <laughs> I just, that line cracked me up. It is uh, funny. We'll talk about it a little more in the things we learned, but it's very interesting in how Carlisle has to f- figure out his approach to treating Jacob's yeah, injuries I with know. his unique it's... powers. But that line just. Carlisle, I loved in this chapter 25, where Mm -hmm. they're dealing with the Volturi and stuff, and and everyone's just like, Carlisle, why'd you spare this person? (laughs) Like, I forgave her. She didn't want to fight. And, like, it seems normal to humans, but, like, all the vampires are like, what what are you talking? Like, literally, we don't know what you're talking about. (laughs) But I love that, because that is Carlisle's entire story. Yeah. Is him being the only vampire who is like, I don't want to kill people. Absolutely. And and some of the other ones are like, you know, yeah, no, we totally don't want to kill people. But, like, but you, sometimes they have to. And he's like, no, I don't want to. <laughs> like, ever. <laughs> well, alrighty. Now that we've established our faves, let's take a leisurely walk down our local manhole. manhole. Uh, make sure you've brought your lantern as we explore, explore the, the lore. So, Spencer, why don't you go ahead and tell us what you learned this week? Well, I learned... A few things. Uh, most interestingly to me, Edward mentions James going around tracking a quote-unquote monster across Siberia when he's kind of talking to Victoria, which I don't think we're ever going to get an answer to, but it seems like there may... But he, 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 when he says it, he's referencing his alliance with the werewolves and how it's different from the monster James tracked, and I thought that was very mm. interesting. I was like, ooh, is there another pack of werewolves or a different supernatural creature it's a little it's one of those little lines that really it is great because it expands the world so much by in just a single line and yeah. it's like it just opens up these possibilities i love it that's a great little storytelling beat absolutely you know it's a great 
fantasy world thing to do. Uh, well, so we met Bree Tanner, yeah. al- albeit briefly. Right. Well, we're going to read her novella, The Short Life of Bree Tanner. Yes. That'll Very be short. our next book. <laughs> we have one more episode of Eclipse and then the movie. And then we before we do Breaking Dawn, we're going to do The Short Life of Bree Tanner. Bree Tanner? But, huh? But we briefly were introduced to Brie Tanner. and um, She did have a short life. At least in this book. <laughs> uh, we all also get some insight into how Bella's powers work. Uh, so sort of. You uh, we had kind of things to say about it. but I, I find it a little... Uh, I, I don't buy the logic of Alice's powers are actually physical, not mental, because I think they're very clearly mental because they change with people's decisions. Mm-hmm. Uh, whatever. I, yeah. I, I, I didn't even need really that explanation, so I don't care that much because I would have been fine without any mention of it. it I, I don't know. I, but to, to summarize, basically, Alice theory is that physical things work on Bella, like Jasper's powers and apparently hers, but purely mental things like Jane's power, right. which doesn't actually hurt anyone, it just creates the illusion of pain, don't work on Bella. Yeah, it also so she's, protect- she's protected, she's like mentally, mentally. protected. Yeah. But we still have no idea why that might be. Right. So, mm-hmm. maybe we'll learn here in the future. Perhaps. We also get, like I teased earlier, we get some interesting medical maneuvering from Carlisle as he tries to figure out how to treat a werewolf. Right. Which includes having to reset his bones because they healed too fast. Yeah. They healed incorrectly. So they have to re-break them and put them in the right position. Also, drug dosing is apparently very difficult when your patient has a literally superhuman metabolism. Yeah, also his temperature is high, right? So he's like, are you going to burn off this medication? I'll go ahead and give you some more then. So, which begs the question, did Carlisle inadvertently create the opioid crisis in America? (laughs) Because it's starting to seem like he's just... It seems like he has a ready supply of morphine. Because this is not in the hospital. That originated in Forks, Washington. It could have. <laughs> I'm just saying we have proven that Carlisle has a ready supply of personal morphine, <laughs> which of course he can't use, but he has it there because this is not in the hospital. But anyways, also, can you tell if a werewolf? How do you tell if a werewolf has a fever? Do they get sick? Do they, yeah, do they get fevers or, you know, or are you just gauging their baseline and going from there? I don't know. Maybe, maybe uh, infections don't exist in their bodies because they run at such a high temperature. Right. And also the rapid metabolism, they have a lot of cell turnover. Maybe their Ooh. immune system works faster because they have more immune cells being pumped out. Treat, you know, I don't know. Interesting, don't know. interesting. But what is to come? And I don't really have any predictions this week because these chapters are kind of a lot of conclusions and not a lot of setups to things. But I do have one anti-prediction, something I don't want to happen that I thought of that Mm. would suck. I don't, I I really hope that the third wife doesn't get like a name reveal and it turns out her name was Bella Mm. or like the like equivalent of Bella, Belle Beauty, you know? Mm -hmm, Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. The third wife, we don't talk about it, but her name was Bella. <laughs> and then we're like, oh. I don't have a lot of predictions, partially because not a lot was set up to give predictions, but also right. because um, it seems like this chapter saw a lot of my predictions fail, so maybe I just wasn't in the mood. Yeah, it was really like a closing up of the story here. A, a closing up of my bets, <laughs> which all were wrong. But we'll talk about that next week. <laughs> In the meantime, let's 
perhaps dig a little deeper and take a trip down Vroom Vroom, the road to pretension. Hell yeah. That's right, folks. It's time to take a journey down to the road to pretension as we take a classic piece of literature and see how it compares to this week's chapters, except that we're not doing that this week. <laughs> we are instead going to take not a piece of literature, but take a look at the deeper meaning behind the book's title, Eclipse. Love it. I love the moon. Same. And normally, for my analysis, I look at the book's title for the final chapters of the book, but... Um, I kind of have a different plan for the final chapters of next week. Okay. For the final chapters next week. So I decided to cover here, and it also kind of works because Jacob name checks the title in the chapter 26. So Yeah, he does. So I think it fit. Who gives a shit? Fuck you guys if you don't like it. <laughs> it's either this or I'm going to do secret history every week, so get over it. For anyone who might not know, an eclipse is any astronomical event in which an astronomical object becomes obscured by the shadow of another celestial body. And the most common of these types are solar and lunar. Mm -hmm. And as we've discussed many times, Jacob is often associated with and compared to the sun. So I think it's safe to assume that Meyer was evoking a solar eclipse when she picked this title. I agree. And if she wasn't, well, I think she's wrong. So <laughs> we're going to assume that that's what it means. And the solar eclipse specifically occurs when the sun, earth, and moon are all aligned with the moon blocking the sun, causing a portion of the earth to temporarily become cast in its shadow. How dramatic. How literary. And rarer, rarer. than a lunar eclipse. Very much so. Um, I know? actually got to witness a partial eclipse like a few years ago at my college. We couldn't look up. Or I actually got the chance to look up at the sky because my buddy had bought some of those glasses. Nice. And he shared them with us but even if you just looked at the shadows that were mm -hmm. cast by the leaves of a tree they were all like wild uh, they were shaped like crescents yeah and it's, it's cool. like what the f how does that even fucking happen it's crazy like i can't imagine so dope. that was it was more dope looking at the shadows from yeah. the leaves of the trees than it was looking up at the actual partial i agree clips. i've never heard someone uh, mention that aspect to it but that is really cool it like because so it does dope. it would change the actual shadow of everything like, that's really cool fuck everything's a fucking crescent everywhere oh which man is i love that i never so i've cool. never heard anyone bring that up but that's yeah. absolutely true that's, <laughs> i i can no longer actually see well because i was you did I, not I stared, look up at it well, I, well the president did it <laughs> like who am i to think i'm better than him <laughs> Just anyways. kidding. We're not getting political. Don't yeah, worry. Anyways, uh, my father listens to this. I'm not going to get. I'm not going to go there. <laughs> <laughs> so, in our final episode of New Moon, I discussed how New Moon uh, lunar like, event yeah, are event. viewed by many cultures as an invocation for beginnings, and yes. we see this idea reflected in that book as the emotional crux of New Moon revolves around the beginning of Bella's relationship with Jacob, specifically in the absence of Edward. Mm -hmm. And New Moon is almost a standalone story as it doesn't quote, really expand that much specifically on the events of Twilight. No, it doesn't. I mean, there is Victoria, but Twilight's conflict was really with James, not Victoria. And her own, the threat of Victoria doesn't really come in until New Moon anyway. So it kind of is a new beginning with that anyway. But instead, New Moon actually introduces elements to the story, like werewolves and the Votori. 
in order to expand the world. Mm -hmm. And so I feel, in my opinion at least, Eclipse is much more of a direct sequel to New Moon, expanding on and resolving the conflicts that began in that book. Yeah. Uh, All that is to say that I see New Moon and Eclipse as pretty closely linked stories, more like one story split into two volumes rather than two sequels to a story. Uh You understand what I'm saying? Uh Which, looking at the titles, makes perfect sense, as, which I learned today, solar eclipses actually only occur during the new moon phase of the lunar cycle. Oh, shit. I didn't know that. Me neither. And boy... That's fascinating. Boy, was I happy to read that because I was like, oh, I can milk that. (laughs) I can milk that fucking metaphor. Give it to me. Hell yeah. In in astrology, solar eclipses are seen as highly volatile events. Their intensely striking visuals correspond directly with equally intensive dramatic shifts. And these shifts are often jarring and fast. You kind of think of it as slamming one door shut in order to allow another one open. Mm -hmm. As they are closely linked to new moons, like I mentioned, solar eclipses in particular are seen as solar eclipses in particular are seen as a sign to action for those who have been reluctant to do so, often leading to the beginning of a new chapter in one's life. In astrology, the sun represents conscious external experience, while the moon represents internal unconscious emotion. Mm -hmm. Therefore, the sun becoming obscured by the moon symbolizes the internal emotional shift, causing a dramatic change to one's external world. Okay, okay. Sound familiar? Yes. Oh. Well, I guess I'm done. Just kidding. In this book, we see Bella go through huge external events in her life. I mean, graduation and and engagement, a battle against an army of newborn vampires, trying to push magnets together. (laughs) And each of those moments are connected to an an eternal. But each of these large moments are actually connected to an internal conflict. Graduation comes just after a fight with Jacob. And, you know, Jacob shows up. And kind of fucks up the whole graduation with his, you know, face being there. (laughs) And Bella's engagement leads her to seriously question becoming a vampire for the very first time. And of course, just before the battle with the newborns, Bella finally admits her deep love for Jacob. And once all these made once all these major external events of the book are concluded, Bella is finally sure of what she wants. Yeah. And it's in that same chapter that Jacob compares himself to a solar eclipse. So while chapter twenty six is obviously not the final chapter of the book, it does seem to mark a conclusion to Bella's internal conflict between choosing Jacob or Edward. Which has been the emotional through line through this book, but also through pretty most of New Moon as well. Yeah. Which is why I kind of see these stories as kind of more closely linked. So it would seem that the title points to the emotional resolution of the book. Jacob has been eclipsed by Edward, leaving Bella cast under Edward's cold, dark shadow. But this story is not over. Eclipses are dramatic, but inherently fleeting events so what lies ahead for bella after this shadow passes perhaps it could be a breaking dawn wow i do like the titles of these books me too uh as more that i think about them i think they're 
which is ironic because when I read like Myers explanation for him, they kind of suck. Yeah. They're like, ah, you know, I called the first one Twilight, so I was like, New Moon. Right, But they do work. But I think they work very well. And I bring in all these, like, astrological interpretations of these solar events, but obviously Meyer doesn't talk about, you know, astrology in these books, but they do still work because Meyer does set these characters up in this way. Like, you know, Jacob has always been set up as a warm, you know, celestial object, the sun, basically, and Edward is a cold kind of dead thing the moon Mm -hmm. so it does work in this way and um it's very effective so when jacob finally does say eclipse it everyone knows what he means yeah you know like he does he doesn't have to spell it out because these books have been spelling it out so it does work really well and as i've been you know interpreting these titles this whole time i was like they work better than i expected yeah they really do yeah so i i really like it but that's enough for me jess why don't you Take us off this old, dusty, pretentious road and and just tell us some comforting things that we didn't know so that we may now know them. Take it away. All right. So this week, I'm going to be talking about an important character that we've been thinking about for a few books now. Eric. No. No. Victoria. I'm going to give you guys a little bit of a background on her. And we have actually talked about her background a little bit, but I'll get to that once we get into that story. So... Victoria was born... Can I just say you look really cute? Thank you. (laughs) Thanks. So, Victoria was born in the 1550s in London. Oh, jolly lot. Correct. Her mother was a scullery maid while her father served as master of the house. What the fuck is a scullery maid? I don't know. Some sort of (laughs) servant. I Um, thought you would know that for sure. No. (laughs) Uh, but her father was like master of the house, also like a servant role. Master of the house. Obviously, her parents weren't the well, uh, weren't the most well off. Victoria had an older sister named Anne. Both girls were born out of ro- out of wedlock, and because of their family situation, they were raised as servants and worked hard from an early age. Anne, like her mother, was a very pretty girl. Oh. Um, light skin dark brown hair uh because of this she was often quote subjected to the attentions of men of the house oh that's nice that sounds like very uh kind and courteous. no it's oh. not oh it's oh no. bad oh no they were being taken advantage of oh oh god uh victoria on the other hand though had a bright unruly red hair freckles green eyes and was yeah. considered to be witchy looking uh thus was more fortunate than her sister when it came to the attentions of men i am now realizing that you are actively trying to look like victoria yes i i want to be a witch you want to be that Over time, the sisters managed to work up and get a job in a very nice household. Anne was a lady's maid while Victoria worked as a kitchen drudge. And though they lived and worked in a nice establishment, the master of that house was a very mean man. He would often beat his servants for the smallest of things. And due to this, the sisters became quite good at hiding whenever they weren't needed. Unfortunately for Victoria, though, her wild hair made it difficult for her to do this well, and so she often got extra beatings simply for being visible. Is this just as a metaphor for, like, England's treatment of Scotland? <laughs> Possibly. <laughs> as this continues... Ask your coworker. Sure, I will. 
As this continued, Victoria's skills for hiding got better, but in his frustrations at her evasion, the master of the house got more brutal in his punishments. By the time Victoria was 12, the sisters decided to flee, but this ended up being a poor decision because without references, the girls couldn't find employment anywhere. And with the winter approaching and no food and shelter available, Anne decided to work for a local pimp as a sex worker on the condition that her sister get free lodging along with the other working girls. They had pimps back then? Yes. Oh, wow. I'd love to see what a pimp looked like then. Uh, not great, probably. <laughs> but th- I don't think anyone looked good back then. No. Even though this wasn't any better of an environment than they came from, they were at least off the streets of London. Victoria became even better at hiding now that she had to hide from the pimp, lest he beat her. Um, One night, Anne went out for work and never came back. And Without her sister, Victoria was on her own. To avoid being exploited by this pimp, she had to run away. She would sneak into houses at night, curl up into small hidden places to sleep, and stole as little food as possible to keep from being caught. The way that Meyer put it she's a cat burglar almost a lot of feline imagery a lot of feline imagery yeah actually she she said like even the dogs wouldn't be bothered by her like they wouldn't right she was just so cat like so homey Mm -hmm. like so she would move from house to house without ever being noticed Mm -hmm. but once she turned 15 she was able to find work again This happened because she happened to be at the right place at the right time. She overheard a scullery maid being fired, and then she, like, presented herself just at that time, and they were like, fuck it, we'll hire you. I'll scully some maids. Yeah. I don't know what this job entails. Nope, me neither. (laughs) This could be prostitution. I literally don't know. It wasn't, though. She was like a maid. Um, (laughs) And she was content for a little while um, because now she had a roof over her head, food in her belly, and she didn't get hit as often. I mean, that's all you can hope for in this time. Yeah. But trouble started back up when she ran into the pimp while out buying groceries, and he followed her home. But she was able to evade him, but knew that this would continue uh, because now he would try looking for her now that he knew she was alive. And it was around this time that her sister found her. Victoria woke up in the middle of the night to see Anne standing over her, only she was different. More beautiful than she had ever been before, but her cheeks were no longer pink. Victoria had never been happier. She wanted to hug her sister immediately, but Anne was very careful to keep her distance, moving at lightning speed that shocked and silenced Victoria. Anne had many questions, wanting to know if she was happy. What's the scullery made? Right. But not being satisfied with the predicament with the predicament Victoria was in, Anne pondered how to solve these issues. She could kill the pimp, but That was only part of the problem. In the end, she decided that Victoria would never be safe until she was stronger than those who wanted to hurt or control her. They got to take down the patriarchy. Truly. So, Anne picked Victoria up like a doll and carried her out of the attic apartment and out the window. Before biting her sister, Anne did apologize. And when Victoria woke up, she found herself in a beautiful country house surrounded by beautiful women. What more could you ask for? I mean, that's, that's a dream I've personally had many times. 
And it's at this point of the story that I want to stop and talk about a different story that I've told before. Um, one about a Volturi guard member called Heidi. And if you recall, Heidi was one of two survivors of a coven whom the Volturi destroyed after claiming they were drawing too much attention to themselves. If you can remember, the leader of this coven was a woman named Hilda. And Hilda had a thing about saving young girls from a life on the streets. Heidi and the other woman, Mary, both had similar stories to Anne and now enjoyed a life free from fear and abuse. Victoria lived with them for a time, and after about two years, Hilda introduced another woman to the group, Noella. It was when Noella was a newborn that the Volturi came. Aro was with them this time and offered Heidi a second chance if she would join them. And she did. Oh, shit. Victoria, being confused and scared, yelled at the others to run. And they did, but she was the only one that got away, thanks to her gift for avoiding others. She was then alone. She should have been called Heidi. That's a good joke, babe. That's a good joke. Thank you. She avoided all other vampires. Vampires, <laughs> oh my god. She avoided all other vampires until she met James. Um, he had the opposite gift as hers, uh, feeling like a drawing, like being pulled towards the object he was hunting. And he actually hunted her, but her gift made it impossible to be caught. Eventually, though, she her curiosity won out and she let herself be caught by James. Well, you know what they um, say. Yeah. Curiosity killed the cat. Eventually it did, right? Because she became James' mate. And that's kind of where we meet up with her and James and Laurent in the story. But you get a little bit of background. She didn't have a great life growing up. and Yeah, much more sympathetic character. And you can kind of see how her life as a human kind of affected her gifts as a vampire. Right. Yeah, that's the story of Victoria. Great. Yeah. Very interesting. I know. I love all these vampire backstories because they go back so far. Right. And like none of this is covered in any of the books. Yeah. Which it shouldn't be. It would be too much, but it's great to have it out there. Absolutely. And so if anybody wants to look up on their own, it's on the illustrated guide to Twilight. Yeah. So this is all official stuff. This isn't just like fanfic. This is official canon. It was published by Sapphire. That's awesome. I love that, babe. That's great. So what have we got to look forward to next week, Spence? We are concluding our coverage of the Eclipse book. Fuck yeah. With the last two chapters and the epilogue. Hell yeah. So look out for that. And then we will immediately next week, the next week, go into the movie, which will be very fun. I'm excited for that. Yeah. And which will follow with the the novella about Brie Tanner. And then we'll do Breaking Dawn. But, yes. you know, we'll, we'll tell you as we go. You don't need to look that far ahead. Right. I don't know why I told you all that. You don't care. You're barely caught up on the chapters. Well, thank Aren't you, you guys. You admit it. You barely caught up on the chapters. Huh? Listen, we're just thankful that you're listening. So I, yeah. if you like us, be sure to like us on Facebook, Instagram. Yeah. Yeah. You can find information from our website, twilightpod.com. If you have a question or just want to say hi, you can message us at twilightpod at gmail.com. That's right. And our theme music is written by my friend Alex Chavez. You can find more of his music at the Facebook page Vintage Attire Music. As always, guys, remember, 
astrology is fun, but Mars doesn't give a shit about you. Just do whatever you want. And don't suck. Bye. Bye.